2: Take a guess. How many times do you think Elon Musk has thrown you off your deadline?
0: Oh, God. 20, 30, 40. And that's just me. Like, across the newsroom, probably thousands.
2: Drew Harwell covers technology for The Washington Post.
0: No one has been as much of a deadline nuker as, you know, compared to him as Donald Trump. Like, he and Donald Trump always throw us off our game.
2: I was asking Drew that question because this week, Elon Musk blew up our deadlines a few times. First, when he said that if he owns Twitter, he'll probably let Donald Trump back on. And then on Friday morning, when he tweeted that the deal was on hold, but that he was still committed to it. A deal being on hold, by the way, is not an actual legal term. It's hard to know right now how committed Musk really is, but he certainly seems to think that a Twitter he owns should have the former president on it. Trump was kicked off for inciting violence with his tweets about January 6th. While Musk isn't alone in saying Trump's ban shouldn't be permanent, if he owns the company, his voice is the only one that matters. Drew says he was expecting this ever since Musk started musing aloud about free speech.
0: Just sort of questioning all of their content moderation decisions, kind of taking this sort of pro-Trump stance, even if it wasn't specifically pro-Trump. But just that, who is Twitter to say what people can speak about online? Who gave them the right to suppress anybody's free speech? So for him to kind of bring that up this week in a very direct way, it was just like, okay, what what liberals and the sort of Twitter watchers have been worried about is actually coming to reality.
2: But it also made him and me wonder, will Trump actually go back on Twitter? He's now got his own social media network, Truth Social, one that's finally working, well, sort of, after months of glitches and delays. Today on the show, will Trump abandon his own project if he gets the chance to play in the big sandbox again? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Truth Social is not the first right-wing social media network for people who think Twitter and other social media giants are biased against conservatives. Gab, Parler, and Getter have all tried to be Twitter alternatives for the right. But Truth Social has the Trump imprimatur. It's run by a former pro-Trump congressman, Devin Nunes, and it has Trump himself. If you've never been on it, it actually looks a lot like Twitter. The user interface is almost exactly the same. You follow other people and see what they're saying and sharing. Except instead of sending tweets, you send truths. Instead of a retweet, there's a retruth. You get the idea.
0: Truth Social comes in a long line of these right-wing alternatives to social media, um, but it's still very new. We it seems like it has maybe two to three million followers, which seems you know pretty good for a website that opened a month or two ago. But you know compared to any kind of social network that you think about today, it's still like extremely puny. Twitter has hundreds of millions, and it is not really all that big of a social network compared to TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all the others. So the thing that distinguishes it from the parlors and getters and gabs of the world is this Trump brand, you know, Trump has been saying that this will be the only place he exclusively posts on. That if you want to hear everything that you used to hear on Twitter, you know, if you were one of Trump's 88 million followers on Twitter and you're upset that, you know, his account was pulled after the January 6th riots, then you can go to True Social.
2: The other thing about True Social that I find interesting is where the money behind it comes from. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So a typical business has investors, it has a product, it has customers, right? Um, Truth Social is one app run by one startup that's Trump's media and technology company. Uh, It doesn't really have a product. It's really not all that big of a company. It really hasn't shared all that much about itself, even. Um, We don't even really know the full names of the people who run the company when they filed their paperwork. They've just sort of had like Billy B and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a mystery of a company. And it's tied to this other mysterious factor, which is called a SPAC. Uh,
2: a special purpose acquisition company.
0: Yeah, that's right. And this is like the hot new thing, or was the hot new thing a year or so ago on Wall Street, where if you want to take a company public, but you don't want to jump through all the hoops that it takes to actually go public and get investors like that, you can create this blank check company, have investors pour money into that under the you know anticipation that... One day it's going to merge with this other private company like Trump's. And suddenly Trump's company has a billion dollars from all these investors who had been investing in this blank check company. So, right now, the promise of the financing is more tantalizing than really the connection of the financing. Like you can imagine that one day True Social will be connected to all of these sort of mystery investors who got into it. Probably pretty much just because they they trusted Trump to, you know, pull off another business success.
2: And I am wondering, it's fair to assume that there is none of Trump's own money in this
0: company. Yeah, no, there is no Trump money in this company. And this th- this is part of the Trump playbook. He He is the brand, but the debt and the risk is always from other people. And this, you know, going back into the Trump history books, right, when he was actually a developer in New York and Trump Tower and hotels, it was always banks sort of pouring money into this. Now he's getting into, you know, the internet business, just instead of, you know, big institutional banks, it's, retail investors, mom-and-pop investors, sort of lower-level people just sort of chipping into this project that they think may pay off one day.
2: It's fair to say that Truth Social's initial rollout was plagued with problems. The app launched in February, but there was an extended waiting list to join. Once people were able to join, they could only download it using an iPhone, not an Android. User interest seemed to plunge after a couple of weeks, Perhaps because the main attraction, Trump himself, wasn't really posting until May. Plus, Drew says, there were some pretty basic technical hiccups.
0: I could actually go on my computer and see unreleased versions of the app just out there, unsecure. You know, I created an account for Mike Pence um, and was (laughs) using it. And I was like, okay, this is... This was not a professional-looking business, I'll just you say. You created
2: an account for Mike Pence?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I created a Mike Pence account. It's really just, you know, I didn't I didn't try and fool anybody. It was really just to see, okay, this is like the most basic use case that, you know, any website would want to protect against. And they didn't even have that prepared.
2: To be clear, this was while Truth Social was still being tested and before the app's actual release. But Drew was able to register the username Mike Pence and some unknown prankster registered Donald J. Trump and posted a gross picture of a pig. None of this was a harbinger of flawless technology.
0: Um, and even now, when you use the app, it's a little bit of a herky-jerky experience. Like, you know, when you go into a thread that people comment on, everything's sort of like a chaotic jumble. There's no real connections of who's responding to who. And It only runs on iPhones. You can't see it on on websites. You click links and they're dead. All of these little things that you kind of take for granted in a normal website because it's 2022 and we've had the internet for decades now, you go onto this app and you realize that it's kind of missing. So what that told me was that this was not an operation that was all that sophisticated.
2: What's the content like on there? I mean, obviously, Donald Trump is contributing his his truths. Uh, What else is there?
0: Not all that much. You know, so Truth Social is open to everybody that the Trump and others have said, you know, it's open to conservatives, liberals, anybody uh, to, to come on and post because they, they want that, right? They, you know, as we've seen with Parler and Gitter and Gab, um, they often tend to focus on right-wing politics, or at least that's who they attract. And, you know, it becomes an echo chamber. The joke on Twitter about this is that, um, you know, nobody wants to go to these sites because there's no libs to own, Right. <laughs> True social is still pretty much very much politics. Like, you'll see some accounts that are more like kind of classic like meme accounts that are jokes and that kind of thing, but they all are on the sort of MAGA side of the aisle.
2: One line we've heard repeatedly from, from the right, whether it's elected officials or kind of figures on the cultural right, is that speech should be free, that content should not be aggressively moderated. And yet I was surprised to learn that, there is content moderation on Truth Social.
0: Yes, and it's actually pretty strict. Um and and that's I think one of the things that always surprises people um because Truth Social has, you know, held themselves up as this utopian sort of free speech haven where you can finally say whatever you want without fear of being canceled. And yet, in the Truth Social privacy policy, right, or the terms of service where they like lay out the law for true social, they are actually like very um, rigid in terms of like, they don't want anybody to post messages that are quote unquote, sexually suggestive. They don't want anything that could trick or mislead other users. They don't want anything that would depict violence. One thing that's really hilarious to me is that you can't post anything that's quote unquote, false, indecent, profane, obscene or otherwise objectionable, Um, which one, it's hilarious because uh, that's a really hard rule to follow on a website. But also, you know, this is Trump we're talking about, right? This is a guy who's famous for saying false things online.
2: Has anyone at the company addressed that or engaged with you when you've asked about it?
0: No, the company has actually been really quiet. Devin Nunes has gone on Fox News to, to talk about this website. And of course, he's sort of held up this as, again, a, a free speech portal where everything's good, where, you know, they can solve all of these problems that Twitter and others have been struggling with for a long time. Our
1: goal, and President Trump's goal, was to give the American people their voice back. And that's
0: what we've done. And there's no big tech tyrant that can take us down. There's a big gap between wanting to be a company that allows anything totally unfettered free speech and actually trying to, you know, pay for that website, right? Sell ads and make Trump look good.
2: When we come back, Elon sticks a toe in the content moderation waters. Back in April, Trump told Fox News that he wouldn't go back on Twitter. But to be blunt, the former president does not always stick to his word. And that was also before this.
0: I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice.
2: Even as he talks about letting Trump back on Twitter, Elon Musk seems to realize that if the Twitter deal continues, the platform probably requires some kind of content moderation. In the same interview where he told the Financial Times Trump could come back, Musk seemed to be thinking out loud about how to handle problematic content and users.
0: If they say something that is um, illegal or um, otherwise you know, uh, just you know, just destructive to the world, then then that then there should be perhaps a timeout, uh, a temporary suspension, or, or that particular tweet uh, should be uh, uh, made invisible or, or have very limited uh, traction. You can see him taking the baby steps that everybody who thinks about this problem take when they first start thinking about it, right? You know, everybody comes to it thinking, Free speech is good. Like of course we want people to express themselves. Duh. And then they see, oh wait, the internet is full of like spam and child sexual abuse imagery and like bots. And then you start to say, okay, well, maybe we'll do free speech, but like without that stuff. And just like take that stuff out. And you see Elon, you know, saying that this week, where it's like, okay, well, we're not gonna ban anything except when it's like really bad for the world. or is wrong. Um, and you know, <laughs> that's not really an easy rule to enforce. If you just said like no bad things um and that worked, that would be that would be great. but it doesn't really work like that. That's why you start to have to create these more detailed rules. That's why we have content moderation teams. That's why we have stuff like the Facebook Oversight board that like, you know, holds itself as like this Supreme Court. These problems are hard. And so Elon is sort of suggesting that these are new. Uh, ways to solve the problem when really they are very old attempts at solving a very complicated problem. And it's going to take more than just sort of like easy sound bites like Elon has been giving.
2: So, if you're Donald Trump and you are surveying the landscape and there's the chance for you to go back on Twitter or stay on the thing you've built, what do you do?
0: So Trump has two options. He stays with the company that is his own. That if it becomes successful, maybe he makes a lot of money and is a place where he will never be canceled again. It's pretty alluring, right? And that's that's the option that he has chosen so far. That he's told people that he, you know, he's 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 going to post exclusively on True Social. That Twitter is 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 dead to him.
2: Is he also getting user data that he could use in a future campaign?
0: You know. It's really hard to say, but, um, you know, a lot of people who have been signing up for these app for, for, for new registrations, they're handing over their email addresses, their personal, you know, their phone numbers and that sort of thing. You have to imagine that this stuff is joining some list for, you know, potential political fundraising down the road. But so much of this is murky, so it's hard to definitively say. But on the flip side, there's Twitter. There's this shiny beacon where... He was a star, like, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that any time he would tweet in the morning, it would be the news cycle for the rest of the day. He had 88 million followers on Twitter. It was a pivotal part of his campaign. It was a pivotal part of his presidency. He really ran the site and he ran the world in that way. Is Trump the kind of guy to leave a megaphone unscreamed through? It's really hard for me to imagine him letting that go and leaving that behind.
2: Drew Harwell, thank you so much. Thank you. Drew Harwell covers tech for The Washington Post. That is it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. This is Ethan's last TBD show, and I want to thank him for being an incredible partner in making this podcast, which we started together. He is diligent, hilarious, wonderfully creative, and I'm going to miss him terribly. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next? Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and we will be back next week with more episodes. Thanks so much for listening.